Hello and welcome along to the Unplugged Pod, where each week we explore absolutely everything to do with switching off in a world that's always on. I'm David and alongside me is Mr. Unplugged, Hector Hughes. And this week we're joined by Georgia Gibson. Georgia is the founder of Uni, who are tackling the mental health epidemic at universities. Hope you enjoy. The Georgia. Look, I thought that was an early applause for my podcast hosting so far. I wanted to do a clap as well, <laughs> to clap myself in. <laughs> I would have taken. Uh, look, I know you've got lots of ventures and side hustles and, and things that are, uh, are all in the background. But uh, first, I want to say thank you very much for coming along uh, to the Unplugged pod. And yeah, we're going to start as we always start, Georgia, by asking you, how, how do you unplug? Nice. I love this question. Um, I would say that I unplug kind of by plugging in to other things that aren't the things that I need to unplug from. So whatever it is I'm working on, I'll kind of reset and plug into a different pursuit. I'm not really someone that unplugs by doing nothing um, or just chilling out. I do need to get better at that though. I think that that is a skill, Um, but I prefer to kind of like, whether it be, music's a big one for me. I grew up in a very musical family. Um, I play the saxophone, um, it's kind of like my hobby. Um, And I love just putting on some jazz music and just completely disappearing into like an improvisation. So that's probably one of my main things that I do because I can just kind of completely go into the flow and I just sit in the sound, sit in the song and just play. That sounds pretty unplugged. When you say you need uh, to learn how to just do nothing, why do you think that is? As in, why do I feel it's a necessity or why do I... Well, I would say... I'd say that I think, like, happiness is a bit of a habit rather than necessarily just, like, a sentiment or a state or anything like that. And I think it's also one of the biggest hacks of productivity. Like, if you're feeling happy and secure, it's it's going to benefit your professional, like, all different professional pursuits and stuff. And I think that sometimes, because I am someone that likes to be active all of the time and sort of work all the time... I then confuse being busy with like being really happy and then actually I get you just get burned out and I'm less productive because my mind's in multiple places rather than and then you just it like affects your decision making I think you just make worse decisions when you've got loads and loads on because you're less clear-minded so I think it I think I just need to learn a way to be okay with just sitting still sometimes how would you rate your happiness at this my habit is actually really good at the moment <laughs> really is and i think you're the, very smiley yeah yeah well i think I'm good. i think yeah fake it no i'm joking um but i think november is a really unhappy month i think it's i think it's probably the worst month like no offense if your birthday is in november or something your birthday is in november don't worry about it i'm so sorry <laughs> wait which day of november uh the uh it was like three days ago Okay, well, have birthday. Birthday. Oh, well, Wait, did you not know that? I'm not a birthday guy, I'm not a birthday guy. So, yeah. Birthdays yeah, are weird. They you are. just trashed November, so carry on, yeah. Yeah, hate November, hate you, hate... Uh, no, and, but no, I am actually in... Because I'm feeling very uh, focused at the moment. Um, and I kind of really know what I'm doing is what I'm supposed to be doing, which is kind of a cool sentiment to feel. Cause sometimes, especially as an entrepreneur, you get existential crisis moments where you're like, and am I an entrepreneur or am I, am I like just unemployed at this point? Like what's going on? And the I- Eternal re- dilemma. Yeah, Joey. And then I realized actually, no, I've had a few examples of like impact and I'm like, okay, I'm in the right lane. I just need to work out how to drive as well as like, I'm using a lot of slogans and metaphors, but anyway, that's kind of, yeah. Love it, love it. I always wonder when you said happiness is more like a state, right? Or more like, I think it's more like a habit, habit more like than a, a habit, state. Like yeah. You've got it's a skill, sure, I think. Sure, sure. It's, uh, I don't know whether that's, when people say that, I don't know whether that's them talking or like Naval talking, because that's like a big um, element. Do you ever read or listen to him? Okay, so he's big into that, how it's like, the, tr- the only true measure of intelligence is, are you getting what you want out of life? The only true measure of, because people think they're intelligent, right? But like the only real measure is like, are you getting what you want out of life? And if oh, you are, because that's you're a smart intel- way to live. Sure, like, yeah. Okay, maybe. <laughs> it's a theory. I don't think I'm intelligent enough to know whether that's intelligent. So humble. Okay. Yet. Uh, you said you're in the right lane. Yeah. But there's lots of lanes, right? Doing a bit of a yeah. deep dive into what you're up to at the moment, Georgia. There's there's lots of lanes. Let, let's start with uni. Okay. 
because it seems like that's your big venture, right? That's your that's your baby. Um, before we talk about how it came about and why you think it's relevant and why it's it's meaningful to you and so many people, uh, I was looking at the the statistics behind students at university these days, right? And of you know, you can prove anything with statistics, but one that bounced off the page at me, which you'll be far more familiar on the latest research than I will here, but like the ONS said one in three students in their first year of university reported feelings of like loneliness, depression, anxiety. That feels crazy high when I think back to my days at uni. Perhaps I was just lucky with the circle I was in. What, why do you think that is? Is it a mirror of society or is it specific to, to the time we're in and the place people are in at university? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, it's, it's mental and it shouldn't be that way. And being depressed, anxious is not synonymous with being in your early 20s. And I don't want that to become the norm and to think that that is part of growing up. Obviously, mood swings, obviously working out who you are, your identity is a stressful process, but it does not have to come part and parcel with the university experience. And like, we only need to look at the past. Like, that was not the case. Why is that the case now? I mean, I think there's like a plethora of problems that students are um, facing, but I think fundamentally it's a cliche, but lack of community is a big one. And why is that? I mean, social media, again, people have heard that, but let's go deeper. Like, why is that? Because actually, if you can find connections, maybe that's a good thing. But it's, for me, it's short-term versus delayed gratification. And this is kind of what links a lot of my lanes is that I'm like obsessed with promoting delayed gratification and the impacts it has on your life. And links to what we said about happiness being a skill and a strategy for that is finding today gratification. And in the university circle, what I mean by that is helping students. What students have lost is kind of how much of an opportunity university is to try loads of different stuff out, loads of different hobbies, whether it's sports or music or drama or careers or what have you, and meet such a range of different people who have different niches and quirks. And I think universities become all about working hard to get grades to go into a nine to five boring job or getting, for my answer, swear? Cool. Or getting fucked. Um, so like that's either way. So I think what we need to realize is actually, I want to completely flip the focus of the university experience. And I want it to be about the extracurricular stuff because that is like those moments where you meet someone or you go to a gig and you're inspired and that is one where you like find yourself it's where you find your people it's where you find your passion and you're then more motivated to work hard on your degree because you feel like more satisfied you have a better clear of who you are as a person and a better picture of who you want to be post uni which then helps come like so much with your job choice and all of that so I think just a lack of direction and lack of identity of people actually not knowing what they're doing they're spending loads of money on a university degree and being like I'm either fucking hungover or I'm like really up late trying to get this essay in because I want to work in investment banking and on the delayed gratification point I mean what what brought you to that conclusion and how do you think that shows up yeah I, I think a few reasons I think that I was very lucky to grow up in uh family that really promoted that from a super like it was we were always told to do loads of stuff that wasn't our school work at home like whether it was musical instruments and I'm very privileged to being able to afford that because that in itself can be an expensive pursuit but in the sense it was like keep I mean you know we weren't it wasn't you know, over the top but always taught the power of learning a discipline from a young age and being really bad at something for a long time and realizing that if you practice every day you will get better and just seeing what a beautiful process that is. And then if you get better at musical instrument, you can then play in a band and then you can meet people. And then you're like, oh, wow. So if I practice something by myself, got good at it, I then can have more friends. And then I'm playing in a band, I'm playing in these circles and that learning that. And then I kind of saw the power of what that does by realizing that not everyone has that. And my mum does a lot of work with gangs and people from um, kind of underprivileged backgrounds and she always said to me, the one thing that you cannot teach to someone who has never experienced it firsthand is like that power of delayed gratification. Like if you don't teach that to a kid, you can't say to someone as like a 25 year old, 
oh no, like anything worth doing is quite shit at the beginning. Like, why would you go through that? Especially not as generation where we can literally spark our dopamine so quickly with a scroll. There's no incentivization to, I mean, you're learning the piano as you just told me and I love that, but there's really no incentivization to any of that because I can just watch TikTok and get a boost or I can, you know, go out or whatever. So for me, it came from my childhood and realizing how much that gave me a different perspective. And then I've actually never had personal social media as a result. Because I just saw, I was like, this is gonna, this is not what my brain is going to react well to. It's worth saying that again. You've never had personal social media as a result. I've never had a personal Instagram account. I, I say personal because I now have one for my company. But before that, I'd never had Snapchat. I never had Instagram. And I missed out a lot. Like, that was a weird decision, I think, for a 14-year-old to make. And I definitely, like, think I, like... I don't know, like, it, it wasn't great for my social life. Now I think back, I think maybe I would have had, a, like, a boyfriend earlier or something because everyone's, like, communicating. I mean, I'm gay now, so actually that didn't bother me. But at the time, it would have been great. And, like, it was how a lot of people made friends. They'd I had Facebook for a bit, but then kind of didn't really agree with how the platform worked or its founder very much, so I kind of left that side. But, yeah, I saw from a young age that Instagram was going to do some stuff to my brain chemistry. And I was like, I'd rather build a better platform when I'm ready to do that, which is what I'm doing now, than like sell myself to it. And you, you seem to be someone who's, you know, has a, I would say, very wise insight on how the mind works. I would maybe push back that you can't learn delayed gratification beyond the age of, say, 25. Like, did you not think? Yeah, that no, that was a kind of an arbitrary finger, figure. Um, but you, you can, but it's a lot harder, I think. And as in, you can learn anything post 25, but you, it's when you're like, chemically, it's when your neural pathways kind of solidify a bit. Neuroplasticity is just harder past that age. So learning any new skill and whether it be a concept about learning a new skill is just more difficult. That's kind of where the 25 came from. Um, but I just think university, all those years pre that, if you can really try out as much stuff, you're putting yourself in such a better position for the years when things do ultimately get a bit harder. I mean, again, going back to your piano experience. <laughs> I don't know how you're finding it, but just that's kind of where I got that idea from. <laughs> but I'm no expert in neuroplasticity too. No, but I mean, anyone over the age of 25 will tell you it's, it's a lot more difficult, if not impossible, to learn. Uh, learn new skills. Yeah. It's, just, it's not impossible, it's just harder. Sure. Um, Georgia, I'm older than you. Hector's in the middle, right? When I was at university, I don't know about you, Hector, but when I was at uni, I felt like everyone was just having a great time. Like, that might have been my bubble... Maybe I'm in my uni, maybe I was lucky, et cetera, et cetera. So when I saw the statistics that like one in three are depressed, anxious, like lonely, that kind of thing from, I, w I was like in halls at universities, I think loads of people still are. You live with a group of people. The opportunity to, to participate, as you mentioned, in all these different clubs and activities is so massive. Like it's the, it's the, the time in your life when you'll meet the most people. So I, I, have the statistics got a lot worse? like since from when I went to university today because it's when I read that I just thought that's so alien to me because it wasn't my uni experience I mean what do, how did you feel when you were at uni uh, I think I'm sure they would have got a lot worse I have a younger sister who was there really not longer at all and uh, you know mine was somewhat towards yours but definitely there were people dropping out with mental health so um mental health issues so to for context and I'm 29 now so we're talking seven eight years ago and there was quite a lot of people who dropped out for mental health issues. And I think, you know, anecdotally in the last two, three, four years, I mean, Georgia, you can tell us, but it, it seems to have just absolutely skyrocketed. And I think it's not just what's happening to people at university, but it's also what state people are turning up to university. Mm. In some ways, I think COVID was a little bit of a canary, or a, a bit of a smokescreen because, um, you know, it was, oh, we'll, ever, we'll just blame it all on COVID, you know, because people aren't having face-to-face -face lectures, they're having a terrible unique experience. This was happening before COVID, like... Mm you know, anxiety, depression at university was absolutely skyrocketing. But I don't know, I mean, what was your... Well, I mean, also within... I'm always so wary with stats because they yeah, just... Each, matter on, yeah, like, it's particularly within the mental health because people have only started talking about and diagnosing mental health issues, you know, relatively recently and putting... and looking into student satisfaction and linking the dots. So whether they just were making less stats back in the day about whether people had anxiety or less people were saying that they had anxiety and etc. So... It's always a bit of a weird one to quantify too much, but I would say that ultimately, yes, I do think people are enjoying university a lot less than they used to. And I do think that's because people are doing less in real life interaction. 
and just feeling very much one that everyone else is having a really good time and the way to have that is to pose about it is to post photos about it is to go out and all of this kind of stuff rather than really find out who they are in like a productive way through activities and people are so what I really worry about sometimes is how embarrassed and worried people are to be bad at things and try things out because of you can film everything and you can post everything everywhere um it's one of the reasons actually I was looking into a study about why young people are drinking less and it's it's part of it is they think because now like if you get drunk and lose control you can literally be all over the internet in a viral tiktok the next day whereas you know when we were going up it's that your mate would have an ugly photo of you and you'd be like <laughs> damn it <laughs> but now it, it you can't really get away with that so i i worry about that also in terms of anyone picking up anything they're not used to or what make make might make them feel out of their comfort zone it's just a way scarier zone to be in now yeah i, just, I guess you just have this new lens of seeing the world where it's like yeah anything you're doing there is also that consideration of is this going to show up on my yeah, social totally. profile yeah. Yeah, yeah but then also i don't want to like completely bitch about social media because ultimately i'm building i want to build a good social media company i don't think social media is necessarily the issue i i, I think how it's been built up until now is but also it's been incredible for people finding out quirky niches and like hobbies and posting about it and all of the good stuff like that is good there as well i'd never think it's just like black and white so tell us how how are you building a, a good social media <laughs> did, did i team myself up there um how you, I... <laughs> me, by the way. y-o-u me yeah, yeah thank you um so i mean the focus of the uni platform is all about showcasing as i've kind of been saying all of the extracurricular activity at university so fundamentally what we're the first problem we're trying to solve is by building like a centralized hub for all of that stuff to to go on because right now it's very fragmented you know no one's on facebook anymore but some people still post stuff there not getting very good engagement then people society organizers and, and groups and stuff are using so many different platforms to get their community engaged whether it's like an insta post or a tiktok or eventbrite or fixer or all these different platforms very fragmented so first we want to solve the problem for them so we want to make one centralized place where they can organize all of their admin almost like a crm for societies treat them as the small businesses that they are managing engagement member acquisition member retention we won't be using that language but like that's ultimately what we're doing um and then connect that with a social platform and a feed where you can find all of the events you can see all of the groups and you can have a social persona on the platform where you can see what events other people have gone to um because that's always fun like oh if you fancy someone oh that's where they're going to be on a saturday might, <laughs> might turn up and then also fun things like um ways to motivate the right kind of socializing so one of the things that i'm really keen on on that we've been looking at into building so we've just released the first version of the product at the moment and something that we're building in is uh, a tab almost like a counter cookies kind of situation so it's like a reverse recommendation tool so if we see you're going to a lot of the same kind of events let's say you've been going to a lot of techno that's great but we may go hey why don't you try life drawing instead of just giving people the you know echo chamber experience trying to make them go outside of their comfort zone and being like hey we know this is out here but you know we think you may love it because of this kind of thing and that actually came out of a friend of mine I had at uni who would always take me to the randomest events that I never would have known out if it weren't for her and I was like, you are the best influence ever. Like, I wish I could just like make you an API and just like plug you into loads of different social media platforms that always gives a contrary opinion that's very thought provoking. And I wanted to build that into a tech platform that promotes in real life interaction. So through events. And then the other thing we're doing and building out is thinking about kind of using notifications, but in a positive way. So, you know, we see that you were interested in this event. Why don't you try this? Or this is a society that a lot of, people who you know follow why don't you try going to that because really for students like they go to freshers week and there's no other platform to find all the societies or like what's going on or ones that they could like only really word of mouth and now people are spending less time talking and outside and chatting about that kind of stuff anyway so that's kind of gone down so there's a couple of ideas there but that's kind of the generalized view love it and you're, you're live now yes, yes we're live really so we're live as of five weeks ago we launched the, we've been building the company for a year raising we're coming up to close our pre-seed very exciting um and building up our tech team uh building up the platform loads of user research and we launched five weeks ago and are partnered with um we have yeah 53 societies on the air 
on the app at the moment. Amazing. Across? So just we've just launched within Oxford. Cool, cool. Um, but we're looking to, first of all, we want to perfect the product there, for sure. Um, just to like, you know, the old product market fit before you... Yeah you know, expand too quickly, but we're in conversations with people from a lot of other different universities. We've had loads of interest, which has been great. Like people contact me now to say, can you come to our university? Like we need this. Like, so, you know, and also in the America. So people from Harvard, Yale, Sanford have been like, can you build this here? And I'm like, just hold on a minute. We're coming. <laughs> Let us just get it right first. But we're looking to be in five universities like pretty quickly. Amazing. And expand out from there. And on the number of societies, yes. how important is that number like is 53 enough in oxford or oh not yet no yeah. i think it's i think it's okay for the amount that we've been live um but the platform is far from perfect yet we still have a lot of work to do to provide the utmost value that i want to those societies and to build to get more on um because we're a small company trying to do a really big thing and ultimately like i really want to change like consumer behavior like i really want to change the way people interact and socialize and that's going to take a bit of time um but it it's it's i think yeah just being really on the ground and talking to them like i'm constantly talking to our users and like checking in with them and wanting to know exactly what they're doing and and working out the best way to find out information is so interesting in terms of like talking to customers you know never asking lead questions like would you like it if the platform did this and then they're like yes and you're like wait I didn't really learn I didn't really learn anything from that did I um but yeah so it's it's a good number to start with but I we want to we need to grow and an, an active user is the idea that they're using the app daily or how yeah so the way that we define active user is someone that who attends a paid event monthly in the platform okay but in terms of their interaction with the app yeah, I mean, I think we're, those kind of metrics, I think we're too early to give, like, very, as again, the platform's only been live for sort of this academic term. So I think any active user metrics aren't super reliable yet. Yeah, I guess more, more than the metric in terms of like how you envisage people using it. Yeah. Are you envisage that they're going in there to check every day, like, what's going on this week? Or... Yeah, so, I mean, uh, yeah, that's exactly what I want. So I want someone to know that if they go onto uni, they can find something to do either at the beginning of the week when they're looking be like, well, how am I going to, what events do I want to go to this week? Or like even in the evening being like, oh, I'm quite bored. Like what's something I can do? I want to meet new people. Also for looking for other societies, like is there a Spanish society because I want to learn Spanish? And then looking up Spanish being like, oh, there is. Okay. And on the platform, you can, each society have a page and within it, you can see their photos, you can see their team, uh, you can see all of their socials. So you can link straight to their Instagram, connect with them on different things and see their live event cards, so all the events they have for that term. Um, so making it really, really easy for people to find all of that information, and then ultimately helping people to find the information that they're not necessarily looking for, but that they could stumble across because they're on the platform. Do a lot of um, students come to you and say like, you know, I'm lonely, I'm anxious, like how does your platform help me? Or is it more like a preventive measure before people even go to uni? That's interesting. Is in like like are you getting messages from people being like I'm at you I'm at my you know second semester at Liverpool Uni I haven't met anyone I feel like this this or is or is it not or is it more you're putting stuff in place before people even attend? No, it's more that we get messages from society organisers and from t being like we're, we're using so many different platforms it's we're not getting enough people to our events apparently you help with that how and then we'll be like yes thank you um, but then I get a lot of people saying. The, I, from the student side so we really want to solve the problem for the organizers first and and then like you know that will then help to because they have access to the students as well rather than just building like a social media that's kind of like how we're doing chicken and egg in this okay so i guess by getting the societies on they will then use that as the main you know resource for their event and they bring everyone in yeah exactly Pretty that's good. the plan so because it's a marketplace really so we're just bringing on all of the supply people that supply all the events and yeah. um, produce them kind of thing. And then the students will come because to be able to connect with those societies, each society has, you know, hundreds, sometimes thousands of members. So if they say, look, this is where we're running our stuff. This is where we, you know, uni have built us the CRM, which can facilitate all of these things. This is, and then, you know, we make it easier for them to connect because we have, we have a social feed. So you can literally scroll through events as though you were scrolling through TikToks, but their events instead of, you know, active videos. Amazing. So the demand side isn't so much of an issue in the early days. 
It, no, which is quite fun for a social media platform because normally that is a bit of an issue. Like you have to go to both sides. Like if a dating app, you need both sides. But no, I and I we really want to focus on yeah what, that problem first and solving it for those people will then because I think also in terms of how do we solve just like the loneliness thing I think just being like oh you need to go out more like you need to find more events and then they're going to be like well how and I'll be like okay hold on we'll build that for you so it's like that's how we're doing it it's not just a plaster like I really want to get to like the root and be like this is why I believe from 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 my conversations and I there was multiple reasons why people could be suffering and there's obviously multiple um solutions but from from my end I really think helping people to find their peoples and passions is one was there like a moment or something that happened to you or your friendship group or was there like a statistic where you thought like oh shit this is a big problem like this is where I need to come in like I mentioned the you know one in three students which that blew me away Mm. when I read it earlier is there something that you saw either anecdotally or more like macro that kind of led you down this path I think, yeah, it was both. It was it was noticing the um, how many of my friends at university were just really unhappy and disappointed and just not not having the experience they were promised. You know, the classic, like, university's the best years of your life and then you arrive and you're like, where, where are my best years? Where are they? Like, what's going on? And then realising how much I gained personally from... I was very involved with extra stuff at uni, so I, ran a, I helped run a funk band had like did some plays as well. Um, and I would always invite all my friends to those events and like vicariously kind of saw how much they enjoyed seeing different parts of the uni experience and and how much my friends that were involved in like little other communities benefited. And there, for me, there was such a clear correlation of people that actually left the library to go rehearse or go play football or go do something with actual general sense of well-being um to my friends that that weren't that were just filling up the gaps in their day with worrying or work or, or drinking or something you went to oxford right so i i mean it's fair to say that anyone that went to oxford is in the you know top percentile probably of iq and, and unless you snuck in georgia i don't know like more or less that's like it's a fair thing to say do you think that if you're more statistically at least intelligent in terms of traditional barometer of what's intelligent yeah. do you think you suffer more from that you know, do you think students at the University of Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard are going to be so clever and in their mind so much that loneliness and depression, anxiety is a more natural result? I'm really interested in this as a as a subject. And obviously it kind of links to what you said at the beginning was traditionally defined as intelligence because IQ is one, but obviously emotional intelligence is a huge one. I do think from from what I've looked into it and from personal anecdotal evidence, people that think very fast, uh, so often people that are quite intelligent who get to conclusions quite quickly, if you translate that ability into the emotional side of their brain, it means they get to negative conclusions quite quickly too. Because they're thinking so fast about solving problems, like, you know, they can write an essay really quickly, they can solve math problems, but then when that pace is applied to anxiety it means that your thoughts are like dominoes and you're just you just arrive at like everything is over because you just rationalized it or didn't so quickly um so yes however I think in general it's the idea of being anxious is just for anyone that just feels a bit purposeless is kind of more of the correlation I found rather than necessarily a particular level of intelligence, just someone that doesn't feel like they're like adding meaning or, or giving meaning to something in some way, like no matter what that meaning is. Like I know some people that wouldn't be sadistically very, have a very high IQ, but they've found a particular area in which they can give impact and that gives their life purpose and then they feel less anxious about their place in the world. And on the delayed gratification point, you mentioned that's the kind of one of the, the big drivers uh, for you personally. Yeah. You're obviously getting to them quite, getting to these people quite late or, you know, the, yeah. the students, because, you know, we're already, we're already talking <laughs> yeah. about people. But I mean, so I guess the question <laughs> is like, how do you tackle that where you, a lot of people are going to have tough times with their teenage years as well. And I think come to university 
maybe without the desire of the appetite uh, to go out and do hard things. So is that something that you, you, you can work into the product, do you think? Yeah, I mean, for me, that's like kind of a brand thing in the sense of how do we come across as super, super accessible? So if these societies in themselves or these groups of people are intimidating so no one ever thought that they could be in a debating society because that wasn't you know they see all these posh people who have been debating since they were 12 and they're like i want to be in a debating society but i just don't feel like it's you know my i mean i'm, I'm a posh person so that's not necessarily just in some ways but to say that but for my own sins but in a, in a sense that like, i know that's something that a lot of privileged people have access to like debating and or society activities because of schools certain schools having that and this is actually based on on someone I know and they were just like I I just don't see myself as being able to do that but I've always wanted to like I sometimes practice in front of the mirror like advocating but I just feel too intimidating intimidated so the way that we can help I think boost engagement for those kind of societies and niches is by building a platform that really showcases how accessible they really really are so to give you a concrete example for that, one of the things that I do in terms of our marketing is I love going really backstage of these society organizers and interviewing them in a fun way. So we did like a Vogue 73 questions playoff with society organizers to like run them, like run me through your day-to-day life and stuff like that. Or we recently did a series called uh, Backstage and Bracelets where we just had like a funk band making bracelets and telling us about their rehearsals and just giving people an insight into who actually runs these societies and their students just like them. No one really knows what they're doing, but they're just having fun doing it. And actually on the platform, the fact that you can see with a picture everyone who's in the team, which actually you can't see on someone's Instagram page, for example, also helps to make it more accessible. So I think it's a mix of like product features like that, but ultimately branding and just showing people that it's super fun. Everyone's having fun. No one really knows what they're doing. It's, you know, it is really accessible and and if, if you are the only person, you know, you could also blaze a trail to other people like you by going and getting involved in these societies that you wouldn't normally, or you haven't seen someone who looks like you be involved in. Love it. What do you think the biggest challenge will be? In terms of? The, the company, kind of getting, getting where you want to go. Oh, so many challenges. <laughs> the biggest one, I think, well, I think the biggest one... I think it's twofold. Firstly, building a product that's really good. <laughs> it's really hard. Like just a very sleek, well-working app, especially when you don't have loads of money and loads of resources. So just transparently doing all the stuff that we say we can do and want to do all of the time and not having it crash. Um, which we, you know, there's always early stage bugs that you just have to iron through and things come out in the wash. And then our team is extremely agile and we respond to, and like the platform has literally been improving day on, day out. And the customers have really been responding to that, which is amazing. They message about something and we fix it and they're like, oh. And that I, I pride myself on that, like quick customer service, have loads of people on WhatsApp, constantly being like, fix, 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 fix. Um, but just, you know, keeping people's patience during that journey if they're like, initial teething problems and so that probably and then the second thing is building any social media app when you're basing you know your product success is so based on people's social interact like social life and that is just such a weird space it's really difficult Pretty to have fluid, right? super fluid like and 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 staying relevant like I just left uni so I, I know how to speak, talk, market for the market because I still am kind of the market, but the market moves fast, especially within, you know, university time. So keeping our platform on the money and with the market and, and yeah, on our side. And <clears throat> what about um, running a, a tech company as a woman? I know the statistics are changing but but very slowly perhaps and how, how do you find that and what why do you think it is still in late 2023 such a, a male dominated space um I think fun well it's a bit of a chicken and egg in the sense that I think there are so few 
very well-known female tech founders out there and there is a bit of a you can't be what you can't see. So growing up, I don't think enough young women are seeing it as a possibility. Um, for me, a really big one is Whitney Wolf Hurd, who's the founder of Bumble. And the way that she runs the company, I just think is exempt, like the way that she's managed to turn her personal story into one of the most wonderful communities and companies, I think, out there right now. But I don't think there are enough examples of that. When you think of your classic founder type, your classic tech founder type, the stereotypes do ring true. There's a lot of tech bros. There's a lot of like Silicon Valley, like, and it is a bit of a weird space. And I'm often the only woman in a lot of these rooms. Uh, and I mean, deep down, why is that more than just it kind of being a carry on from not seeing it, not believing people can? I think it's a very, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think about this a lot because I've spoken at schools and stuff because I really want to inspire young girls to get more into tech. I mean, I have to confess that I'm not tech, I don't have a technical background. Um, so I, I'm tech literate in the fact that I can understand, I can communicate with my team, but I'm not there coding. Um, so I think also a lot of people think that that means that they can't have anything to do with tech, but actually some of the best tech founders out there, you know, Brian Chesky, Steve Jobs, even to a certain extent, like are more marketeers, they're more creative and they bring such a different skill set to the tech world. And that's where I think is my niche. Like, I think actually the the reasons that I'm not your average tech founder, whether it be because I'm a woman, whether it be because I'm gay, whether it be because I'm creatively minded, for me has actually been my biggest points of impact and why I think the company is different and has like had different spurts of doing quite well in different ways. Um, so making more young girls feel that they don't need to fit into a certain mold, even in terms of expertise or training with a certain way. And then also seeing more women doing that and then psychologically, I think, not to gender it, because I think this is sometimes a trap, which is not helpful. No, I generalise away, like. It's, uh... Well, yeah, it's like generalising genders, but I think often it's like that classic story of, of, of men will see a qualification seat for a job and being like, I have half, I'll still apply. Whereas women will be like, I need to have all of them. <laughs> Otherwise, I won't even touch the application process. And I think something I've learned a lot, actually, from, from working with so many men is the confidence sometimes you know without any real backing which isn't necessarily helpful but the confidence to just really go for things and learn on the job and that's like the biggest thing I would say to anyone like thinking about starting anything is just like google get you a long way just like go like I have said yes to so many things where and then like just filled in the gaps as I go and I do think that's a characteristically more male trait I don't know why but I just hope that that changes and more women realize that they can just trust themselves to work it out uh, one of the many things i love about your company is you know this is very much something you can affect right because university is such a formative period for better or worse like in, in the uk you might mm. just end up drinking for three years and mm. deal with the consequences <laughs> but but nice. you know you, you can really kind of help with this i guess mm. i mean i really hope so i think like i one of the things that I have a very strict rule on is that I want to meet in person as many of our users as I can. So I go out down to Oxford once a week and I have coffee after coffee after coffee. I don't actually drink coffee. Otherwise, it'd be a nightmare. But I, and I talk to students all of the time because I think also at this early stage of a company, your brand is so much you. Like I am the brand and I really want that to accessibility and like doing new things. And I, and I, you know, I, as you say, I hold all of our values so close to my heart. It comes from personal experience that I know that I can talk about it hopefully make people believe it but also being able to on the back of that which has been super gratifying quite a lot of students and young people have messaged me and for advice and I don't feel like I'm qualified enough to give advice at this stage but for just like how to break into this world or like I've seen you doing this or you spoke to my friend about this or I'd love to meet you talk to you about this so already being able to see that impact has been super amazing so yeah and you spoke about uh, predominantly males having the confidence to just go for things. It strikes me that that's exactly what you've done. Where do you think that confidence came from? I, I've always had this, I don't know where it came from, this like kind of unfounded belief that if, if something doesn't exist, maybe it's because I'm the person to make it happen. And that's got me into like starting a lot of stuff. 
Because, like, a lot of things don't exist. And it does not mean you're the person to start all of them. But I was just obsessed. I mean, I have now, like, my parents laugh at it because I literally have boxes in my room which are just physical examples of, like, fast failures. So it'll be the time I wanted to make jewellery, the time I wanted to become an artist, the time I wanted to do this. And it's just boxes of just evidence of me being like, yeah, no, yeah, no. And what was the most random, the one that you look back on and think, what oh, was mate. I thinking? Well, to be honest, furniture company's a bit random. <laughs> and that's quite recent. Um, I've literally done everything. It's, it's, it's uh, I think modern artist was, was a bit of a stretch. Like really conceptual, uh, abstract art. I was like, I found, I've, I've really found a hack here. Because I just went to loads of galleries and I was the classic, like, I could do this. And I was like, that means I should do this. How far are you getting with these? Have you got your paintings all up over your house? Or? No, no, no. I'm saying they're all in a box. They're all of my paintings in a box. Um, and I, they, I do not bring them out. Subjective though. You could be a master of your art. Yeah, well, like maybe. That. Maybe if, I, if, if one of these companies does go to plan then I will sell that. And once I have a big name, I'll be able to sell art for a lot of money. So maybe we'll come back and all the jewelry. Like, I also have loads of jewelry that I've made. How like, far did you get with, with Burniture, your furniture company? Burniture's still going. Still going. Um, so Burniture, Burniture and Uni are two things I started right out of university. Um, and they're actually linked in the sense that by this delayed gratification thing. So Burniture came out of me realising one, um, creativity and collaboration is such a beautiful space to help people's mental health. And I saw so many of my creative friends do freelance work and just getting burned out and like not really enjoying it. And I was like, I just want to put you all in a room. And I was like, okay, what's the best way to do that? You need to have a focus. Potentially you need to be working on something together. You need to think about what you could be working on together. And then aside to that, I went down the street and I saw so many pieces of furniture that people have left outside their house. And I went home and I looked up what was happening to that furniture. Like, is there a furniture fairy that just solves it all? Turns out most of it gets burnt or thrown into landfill. And fast furniture as an industry is one of the leading contributors to climate change and all of the global warming buzzwords. And no one talks about it, um, which I just found astounding because, I, I mean, the focus right now is on kind of fast food and fast fashion, but fast furniture is huge. And then I kind of realized there's no really fun furniture brand that's like young and and cool and does like collection drops and has parties in, in galleries. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to bring these three things together. And so I rung up the eight most creative people I knew from school, university, a Zoom call, a networking event. And I was like, how would you like <laughs> to build a furniture company with me? And all of them were like, what? And then I got them all at a pub. And I was like, no, no, guys, I think this could be really amazing. And then the Sunday after we all met in the workshop of a friend of two of uh, the collective who are carpenters. And kind of the concept of a craft at noon was born, whereby we had a focus of getting loads of waste materials and making art out of it. And our first piece was we knocked on someone's door beside the workshop and we said, do you have any furniture you don't want? And they said, we have deck chairs, we're about to move house. And we said, perfect. Took them out, disassembled them, they were kind of broken and built a rocking chair out of these two deck chairs. And then it just grew and people started to give us stuff. We got an old artist easel, which became a chef's cutting table. Uh, we got old garden bent, uh, sorry, old church pews, which became garden benches, inside of a piano, which became a notice board, loads of different things. And everyone so enjoyed bringing their own creative prowess to it. So we had someone who was doing all the graphic design, someone who was taking photos of it. Um, and everyone was kind of like mucking together on, sun on these Sunday. And we used to call them like almost like Sunday service because it was just so mentally cleansing. No phones, just like building. And then we had enough pieces to do an exhibition. We had a solo show like complete mental attendance. It was like completely packed, um, all about fast furniture. And then we had a showroom with our pieces. Then we got chosen for two international design fairs, uh, new designers and Decorex. And then we won a award for sustainability. Um, and now we're kind of deciding what to do next. And if, if all that doesn't appeal, there's a naked man on the front of your website as well. Yeah, when true. Yeah, that, that's so it certainly Ed. packs a punch if that's your thing. That's it. Everything we make is in-house. Every yeah. single, every video, everything you see, we all model and everything. So that's one of the carpenters and shot by one of the collective who is riding in a wooden boat and then he assembles one of our pieces of furniture on a beach. That's kind of yeah, weird. I liked it a lot. So, so what does your week look like? Because you also mentioned before we started recording that you are creative director, 
at the workspace you're in so like what there are many hats yeah, I kind of help with that stuff so I do freelance creative direction uh and creative consultancy for a range of companies I've done a bit for entrepreneur first that was probably one of my favorite clients to work with what does a week look like this does feel like French oral I wake up at um I I'm I've had a year of doing loads because I was very interested in becoming the best at what I want to be the best at. And that's creative direction and thinking creatively. And I, I'm, this is a preface to what I'm about to say. And the reason that I've done so much, loads of different things, is that I think with creativity, it's quite hard to optimize in any other way. It's not like business in a way that you can, I don't know, read lots of books or listen to lots of podcasts or like, you know, get really good at mental arithmetic or something. With creativity, I think the best way of having good ideas is having loads of them. And like my my kind of USP or the area I want to really hone in on my skill set is taking idea to execution really, really quickly and an idea that works. And by doing that, I wanted to work on as many different creative projects and many different creative people as I could to get as good as I could to ultimately build my own company, which is uni. And I wanted to work with artists. I do, you know, album artworks. I work with independent musicians and creatives ultimately to give them value and impact, but also to become really good at what I think I can bring um, to kind of what I'm building. So previously this year, my week has been so scattered, but I kind of compartmentalize it and I'm quite good at time blocking. So I will really focus in on when I've got a particular task and then cut off and work on the other thing. But it's kind of gone from mostly, I mean, nine to five is still focused on building my tech company. But then on the weekends, that would be furniture time. So as I say, Sundays was always furniture. And then my freelance creative direction would kind of be evenings and Saturdays, as it were. But now, in my old age of 24, I'm really honing in on on just taking all of that learning and focusing on really building my company and and. I do now run a music studio on the side, which I do on weekends, but furniture, I'm slightly stepping back from as much of a leadership role um, and doing less freelance creative direction for other people and kind of just keeping uni and a bit of independent musician work on the weekends. That was that's a, long that's a busy week. B- busier than you, Hector? Very good, busier than me, yeah. yeah. What does your week look like? Um, when do we get to the part where we talk about unplugged? I really want to talk Let's about. Let's do it now. Hector was getting his hands dirty in the tech trenches today as well, with uploading the podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's so it. Oh, huge. Yeah. There's a lot going on. <laughs> What's your week like? Uh, I'm a little bit more leisurely. I'm quite like lazy. Where like I feel like you just bang through stuff. Like, I'm not actually good at like doing the work. So nice. So I, I kind of. Uh, you're an entrepreneur and not good at not good at entrepreneuring, not good at doing Well, entrepreneuring I would say isn't just doing work, it's like working with other people to do work. Oh so fair, 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 fair. But I'm sure you are good at doing I mean well, you know, no, you like could... a very successful I think you're doing yourself <laughs> down. Well I, so prior to this I worked at a tech startup, joined out university, was employee number two on the commercial side. Ben, my co founder, was employee number one. And I did three roles there over three years. So sales for a year. Uh, ran product for a year, ran growth for a year, and I was Sick. I was really rubbish at all of those roles. Like, honestly, I think I was good I, at like being okay. in a company environment, like got <laughs> on with people, like said something bright occasionally, but like the quality of work was was really poor. So like this is a much better job for me. Not that I'm good at this job, but it's a better job for me because I can work with other people who are good at doing the work. So mm-hmm. everything you see publicly uh, for Unplugged is is not me. I can assure you. So, but to be able to motivate and get that from the people that work for you and produce that work I mean that is you I love the people stuff and I love the like kind of systems thinking so like and and actually I really enjoy the kind of ever-growing complexity of you know obviously the further a company gets the more complex the game you're playing becomes and like you know the early days it was me and Ben cleaning out the toilets of the first cabin and it was fun like there's you know you've obviously you can hear the passion now and like early days still now there's that passion of like we're starting something that's super exciting mm. but i think i am much more excited about like okay this is starting to get interesting like we're bigger now all that kind of stuff so some people just want to be always at that like uh, product creation right at the start mm. i'm much more interested at this kind of like okay how do we really turn this into something huge cool. basically so uh to answer your question my day again I, i'm just not i just i'm not constitutionally built to sit down and like work for 12 hours so like I'll do I, I do most of my work between like 
eight and nine in the morning, like just just bang out the like wow. decisions that need to be made. Nice. And then the rest That's of it's just like swanning around and like chatting to people <laughs> and like trying not to break anything, healthy out if I can. So like, I'm I'm still I'm obviously like putting in a putting in a day's work, of course. Um, but it's a lot of uh, yeah, because it's like need to make a few decisions well, mm. and I'll, I'll spend a bit of time and on that to start the day, and then the rest of that is just. <laughs> yeah. But no, I think it's it's really just kind of being there for the people doing the actual work is how I think about my job. I'm like, there's obviously like fundraising and all that kind of shit, which is yeah. very, very time consuming, of course. Yeah. Um, but I love how you talk about your job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I feel like you do the... loads of other stuff, but you're just kind of like listening it. <laughs> but I think Hector as well, I always love you sort of justifying like your, not even justifying, just explaining your approach to like management and leadership and how you lead the Unplugged team to like different styles of entrepreneurs as well because it always gets the reaction that you've offered Georgia, which is kind of like when Hector says, I work between eight and nine and then I go for a walk. But like, you wouldn't be able to say that with such conviction unless like it worked. Do you know what I mean? Otherwise you'd be, you'd be, be like, oh no, I do loads of work. and I, But you're not, you're like, no, my job is to make big decisions for a company that's like going places and this is how I do it. Like, don't optimize you know. your own workflow that sounds perfect also like you're a walking brand for unplugged you <laughs> unplug mate like that's you're marketing for yourself right that's what you're doing from nine onwards in the day you're just marketing being unplugged <laughs> that, honestly if i catch myself like working in the evenings i think to myself this isn't this is i'm a fraud if i'm doing that so but i i do operate much better if i unplug so like, I, I i will try and get off all devices at like six six to seven in the evening until like eight or nine the next morning and i just operate i turn up better for everything else during the week yeah. like if i am working in the evening finishing something else i you know i'm a bit more overstimulated when i go to bed maybe won't sleep as well you know maybe we'll check my phone earlier in the morning and you mm -hmm. just end up in this uh this state of just like shallow thinking i think if i'm like mm -hmm. checking stuff I, you know i could so easily get into the habit which i do most days of you know have some like good quality of thought at the beginning of the day but as soon as that goes then most of the day is just like shallow switching between like email, WhatsApp meetings, like, mm. and it just ends up. And that's why I say, you know, people might objectively look at my work day and be like, what are you talking about? You're working all this time. There's a, there's a fair amount of swanning around as well. But like, to me, that's not because, you know, I can easily spend two hours doing like emails in the afternoon. It's like, I'm not actually working there. I'm just mm. kind of like. I think shallow thoughts is such a good way of putting it. Because yeah. I, I, I think often like interaction with kind of like social media and emails, it does keep you in that shallow like thought. Whereas you're not really 100%. like deep working or thinking. hundred yeah. percent. And I think the, like there is this, we feel like, uh, you know, when stuff is not going well, we need to be working more. We need to be busier, mm -hmm. but it's recognizing that like, I'm so much more effective than I used to be. I used to be fucking useless. I'm a little bit less useless now. <laughs> I'm still so ineffective. Honestly, I waste so much of my day. And yeah. uh, you know, I'm even like, it's almost the more effective I becomes again still not great the, the more I realize like just how ineffective most of the day is mm. and so I think through that lens I really don't beat myself up about like you know going for a three-hour walk or like reading a book or like you know checking out for the day um so I actually try and be a bit less reachable generally try and like I know Tim Cook from Apple's up at you know because he's doing a better job than me but he's up at 5 a.m making sure that he's getting out all the emails that need to go out at the start of the day and it's just like on everyone gets an answer straight away I actually think there's something to be said for like taking a step back like, I'm a very hands-off uh manager leader whatever you want to call it so like mm. it's very much like that you you're the better job than me of selfish this I'm here if you want an opinion but uh and so that frees up a lot of time I'm yeah. not I'm not good with details I'm quite dyslexic and so I really just, I'm, I just don't really have the patience with details. Ben luckily is very kind of detail oriented. Mm. Someone's like, oh, but your cabin's got so much attention to detail. It's not mine, trust me. So I, I that does free up quite a lot of time, you know, because. You're not micromanaging as it were. Yeah, and if I do have to do, like I've just, we just closed some funding and had to, uh, they used a lawyer, we didn't, I had to do the legals and she, uh, I just got this list of like 60 clauses, <laughs> Wait, surely, 60 surely changes. AI, you just like... Well, you think so, yeah, but it's like all, all over email. I can, I, I'm not detailed enough oriented to figure out the AI tool to use, but it was things like changing the definition of business days and I just have no attention for that kind of thing. I think we lost the camera. Yeah, that's the... Sorry, that's, that's the hour. The, okay. No, I just wanted to say it's all right. We got it. We got it. Got two more. <laughs> if people think Hector's joking as well, like, or... <laughs> trying to be like entertaining for a podcast or something like that. He's not in the sense that of, you know, if I send you like a tower of WhatsApp, WhatsApp text at like 7 p.m., you know, I know, as soon as I send it, I'm like, oh, it's Hector. Like, I'm not going to get a response till the morning, which I like, because then you can really create that as you, and as you say, you you're You set walking. those boundaries sure. as a press, wow. People expect it. Yeah, people expect it. I love that. 
I need to stop replying so fast. <laughs> it's actually only my, in my personal life, I don't actually, and people expect, like, but in my work life, I'm like, Dum. but actually, yeah. I should, interesting. I, I, I heard a story which really stuck with me um, probably a couple of years ago. It's fairly early days of Unplugged. Uh, just a simple story that some CEO wants just stop replying to emails. And he realizes that after a while, like, no one cared. People just started figuring <laughs> stuff out. And I was like, you probably can't get away with that. And you still hear stories about um, people running companies who are like very old school and who never made the transition to email. And they get everything. They get their like stack of letters or printed out emails at the start of the day. Is that what you're hoping for? I'm, people just stop sending I'm shooting postcards. For that. Yeah, for I'm shooting for that, honestly. That, that frees up so much time. It frees up so much time, honestly. I would love to sit there each morning with my stack of correspondence and just flick through it like that with a pen. Like, honestly. Have you I, stayed at a sorry, have you no, stayed at a cabin? No, I haven't. You must do that. I would love to. Yeah. I would love to. I I just this is so perfect that this is your business that you are the founder. I just love that. It's just so fits with because I also think that businesses take on the traits of their founders. 100%, and it, yeah. it's like it makes total sense that that's your kid. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I love that. Wait, can I ask what what prompted you to like what was your personal story? Were you feeling what were you feeling like you weren't unplugging a lot that prompted you to start this business? Yeah, I think I just got I just got really uh just dissatisfied with the kind of busy life I was leading. So was doing the classic like work in London, uh flying around the world to set up these offices. So the tech company we were like expanding internationally. What was the tech company called? It was called Nobly POS. So it's like iPad till system. So if you go into a restaurant or a cafe and they're using an iPad for the till. And the chapter I was in kind of ended in failure, but then the company kept going and actually sold to Revolut uh, a couple of years ago. So nice. successful result in the end. Um, but yeah, I, I was just a bit tired. I was drinking a lot of the time. I'm four years sober now, but at the time just had that like, I think there was a, a lack of, in, in some elements of my life, I've always had a lot of self-assurance and, and belief in myself. Mm. And in other elements, I think up until especially that point, mm. like there was a part of me that I was never really comfortable in myself. So I think there was just this real like dissatisfaction uh, and then basically ended up at a silent retreat in the Himalayas in September 2019, which was this Buddhist temple on top of the mountains. A friend of mine recommended it and I initially kind of laughed it off. I thought, mm. you know, what, what would people think? Uh, got myself out there and it was incredible. It was um, yeah, literally on, on top of a mountain. And the best thing about it is when you get there, they take your phone off you and you spend 10 days cut off from the outside world. And that moment of just like handing in my phone and just being like, no one can contact me. Yeah, it was amazing. You're like, I'm going to do this even when I have my phone. 100%. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because up until that point, I think I'd, I'm a bit of a people pleaser as well. So like, I, I was always very sociable through mm. like my teenage years, university. So I was like, always with people. Like, I never went on holiday on my own, any of these kind of things. So mm-hmm. I was in the pub or whatever it was. Um, and I think that at that period of my life, I just like discovered this like introverted side of me. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, so had that silent retreat, literally came back from that. Uh, quit my job a week later off the back of a conversation with Ben who uh, had left the startup at that point but we'd stayed friends told him about it he's the opposite so the company isn't just everyone acting like me because Ben's at the other end of the spectrum and so we meet nice. somewhere in the middle nice uh, but 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 actually that's been a, a really um, positive balance and, and that, that relationship generally has been wonderful uh, and so I told him about it you know he is was kind of initially skeptical but really help kind of bring it to more of a, a middle ground mm. and spent three hours Googling cabins on a Friday night and quit on, on Monday. Wow. So that was it. And that was just for the pandemic. Cool. Wow. Yeah, so that was uh, October 2019. And then we ordered our first cabin in January without, didn't have the money for it, didn't have anywhere to put it, but it was like, if we order a cabin, we kind of have to figure out that other stuff. And the pandemic obviously hit in March. So luckily we had the cabin on the way. So then we had to figure it out. And then that arrived in June, government lifted the lockdown in July. So it all, all worked out, all worked out well in the end. Amazing. Cool. What a cool story. So <laughs> yeah, it really did come out of you having that Himalaya experience and then being like, I want more people to experience that. Yeah, it was literally like, I think this is missing. Like, I can't mm. want to go to a cabin and lock my phone in a box. Mm. And like, that has always you. been the, because I think the, the company becomes, you know, very much the, the culture becomes the, uh, a reflection of the founders but also like the insight right and I think mm. what's interesting is like that is very much still the insight it's like actually because there are quite a lot of cabin companies in the world now mm. um, with you know similar looking cabins etc but that's all about getting people to nature which is also great obviously and obviously mm. that's what we're, what we're doing too but 
you know, don't care about the phone side of things. And for us, like that is the, the kind of reason for being. It's like most people today haven't spent three days off their phone in the last decade. Let's see what happens if, if they can do that. You know, and if you actually go and do that, it takes about a day for the mind to settle down. So the first yeah. day you're a bit more anxious. You have then kind of like withdrawal. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You get like a phantom buzz, but then you just access this deep sense of calm. And that's how we're supposed to operate. Like that's not accessing some mm. magical state that is like accessing like the, the state, state. Yeah, yeah exactly wow. exactly and it's that we're spending the rest of our lives in this constant state of overstimulation from the the modern world so like if you look at people living in native tribes now if they're not anxious they're not waking they're up with stress chill. in the night they're just chilled because that's how humans are built to operate so it's really about helping people feel human again oh i love that is that your tagline uh work at it i'm, I'm trying to get out <laughs> feel today feel human again <laughs> Have you spent three days without your phone in the last 10 years? Take no, I was just thinking that. I know it's definitely not. Have you? Have you? Yeah, have you? This is not about me, guys. I'm not <laughs> <about> <laughs> All right, there might be a nice time to wrap up. Um, Georgia, thanks so much for coming along. Tell everyone where they can buy your furniture, get involved in your uni stuff, be a part of your yeah, energy please. in your world. Like, <laughs> Well, you can... You can't... Well... Unless you're at Oxford, you can't get uni yet, sorry. But we'll be coming to your university very soon. So definitely get in contact if you have ideas of how we can best do that. If you want some incredible furniture made all out of recycled materials, I don't really know where I'm supposed to be looking. Just into the, yeah. Into the either. Then look us up, furniture, um, the catalogue's online. And if you are a startup or a creative, need help with creative direction in any way, a bit of consultancy, I'm always happy to come on a call um, and like pro bono stuff just for good vibes. Love it, Georgia. Well, very excited for the future of uni after chatting to you for an hour. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Awesome. Okay. Cause your brain never felt like this.